0: We have a state for a reason, Jeff. What's wrong with you? And he reminded me that not all truth is encouraging, and about how apparently there were previous leaders that were slightly taller than I was. So this was reasonable. Uh, and <laughs> so believe it or not, Eric Crafted, I believe what, you six 6'4, bro? How tall are you? 6'4, I'm not. Uh, but we are the same species, which might be slightly difficult to believe. I'm pretty sure Eric Kraft is proof that the Nephilim are real. That's that's what I'm going with. The sons of God came down. Amen. A Yeti. Oh, yeah. Abominable snowman? Maybe. Yeah. That's an option. Uh, good morning, church. It's good to see everyone. How are you? We doing all right? I see some... Man, I see a few beautiful faces that I haven't seen in a little bit. It's so good to see everyone. Um, and I got to be honest... Uh, How many of us love this weather? Okay. How many of us are just grumbling against the Lord, waiting? Excellent. Okay. That's how I feel. I'm like, this is the first, like, proper winter I've had in I don't know how long. Uh, But the weather patterns are slightly difficult to predict, aren't they? Uh, And I'm like, am I wearing a T-shirt, a fleece, or a parka today? Uh, and the answer is D, all of the above. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's just how it is, um, which I'm very excited. I got up. I was up uh, pretty early this morning. I uh, went to a coffee shop. As one should to commune with the Lord. That's right. Um, and there's too many dad jokes biblically to support that, right? Yeah, um, we're talking this morning. We're mo- we-, we could stay on talking about the word of God for the next several weeks. Uh, but we won't, because uh, I want you guys to continue to like us having you know, having us here with you. So we're gonna move on. We're talking continuing with the back to the basics, and this morning we're gonna talk about this idea of discipleship. How many of us grew up religious in the church? Uh, maybe we grew up around church, whether it's this church or another church. How many? You can. You know what? Yeah. This is like public confession time. No one's going to make fun of you. Uh, I grew up in Seattle, slightly different slightly different than Wichita. Here in Wichita, it's, it's more likely uh, not if you, but where you go to church, right? That's a little bit more of the experience. Um, in Seattle, it's a little bit more like, well, which crystal do you wear when you have a headache? It's slightly different problems up there. It's a little different. And you're kind of down here, you're almost a little bit of the, the weirdo if you don't go to church. We're up there, you're kind of the weirdo if you do. Stephanie, you can check my work on that. We both went to the University of Washington, go Huskies. Come on, baby, this this is what I'm talking about. We're fired up about this. The rest of you, there's time to repent and come back. Um, But I remember the first time when I sat down and I started reading the Bible and I studied the Bible with somebody. I don't know if you have ever had this experience or if you remember this experience. And as I started reading, the Bible was so shockingly different than what I thought was going to be. Anybody had that experience? Especially Jesus. And I remember reading scripture, being like, Jesus said, can't, Jesus can't say that. Like, right? And you start reading it, you're like, oh my goodness. And he's he's unbelievable and he's gentle where you expect wrath. And then he's so heavy-handed and confrontational when you kind of expect him to be more measured or reasonable. And he's so not like what you would expect. And like many people, many historians, many theologians have said, if Jesus wasn't real, he couldn't have made him up. And I think that's true. He's a very unlike kind of Savior and Lord. But I'll tell you what, what's incredible about this is, I mean, after 2,000 years, the Bible, centered around and focused on Jesus, is still the best-selling book that has been published in virtually every language that's existed in the history of mankind. Amen. So much so that not only is it continued to be advanced and continued—I mean, the translation in these very popular languages—in fact, actually, this year, if I'm not mistaken, they are finding—and you can you can imagine—if you've read your Bible a little bit about the prophecies of going to every town and village and person hearing they believe that i believe it is actually this calendar year that the last couple of amazonian tribes who have not ever been reached with the gospel never been communicated with and talked to by outside people will be communicated with this year so it's a little bit like the y2k for christians (laughs) like is it all is jesus about to come back Uh, you know i'm like hey you better get ready that's a whole sermon but it's funny because this idea about the message about jesus About taking it to all people, it's it's it hasn't died. In fact, it's it's unbelievably popular, and there's this even resurgence in many of the countries like Brazil and others where we actually see the younger people coming back to Christianity in greater and greater numbers. What's the point? The point is, since Jesus has been around, in all of the mess, we've got one Bible, and we have got over forty thousand Christian denominations. That's a lot of versions of one Jesus, isn't it? We've got a lot of denominations, a lot of versions. We've got a lot. I mean, you go to a Christian bookstore and you want to learn about Jesus. Now there's an entire section about discipleship. Man, you can get any version of this you want. Anybody else a martial arts fan? Anybody else like kung fu movies? How many of us actually did martial arts? Okay. all right, a few of us. Maybe, maybe you did Taekwondo for three years. You got your black belt in 47 days. You're a savant. No, the word disciple, the reason why I say this is because I grew up in Seattle and one of my favorite martial arts of all time is Bruce Lee, who actually attended University of Washington. If you didn't know that, just one more reason to be a Huskies fan. His grave, the whole deal's up there. If you've ever seen the multiple biographies about him, it's unbelievable, actually. But there are still living disciples of Bruce Lee, of guys that were following him and learning. In fact, people pay incredibly good money to spend time to learn from these disciples of Bruce Lee, of going, what was it like to be there? Because there's been a lot of versions, a lot of spin-off, a lot of mixed martial arts. I mean, UFC, I mean, it, I mean, it, is, it is unbelievably fast growing in terms of a sport. There's, this has this taken off, this idea of mixed martial arts. It's massively popular. But this word disciple that we're going to be talking about, it's not just, it's not a religious term, really. Bruce Lee had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Pharisees had disciples. Buddha did. Many philosophers did. You can be a disciple of almost anything or anyone. It's kind of an agnostic term. But today, what we're going to be talking about is about this idea of being a disciple of someone very specifically. And we're talking about being a disciple of Jesus. Now, read. we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 11. We're going to move through this today. And there's way too much to talk about for one sermon, even for me. There's just way too much. So this is meant to be a really good start. For some of us, it'll be a refresher and a reminder. I hope it'll be an encouragement. For those of us that have never studied it, or it's been decades maybe since we looked back and we're just coming back, we're making decisions about, man, do I want to do this again? Maybe we've actually stuck around physically in church, but some of this is like, I remember that and I remember committing to that, but that hasn't really been the way I've been doing it. For any or all of us today, what we're going to be doing is trying to go back and figure out, okay, what is this whole thing about? And in Acts chapter 11, at this point, we're a few years beyond Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He's ascended, he's in heaven. And his disciples, his followers, have have kind of taken the message out. And where we pick it up is in verse 25 in Acts chapter 11. And it says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus. And Tarsus is a city where the apostle Paul, we we know at this point, Saul, that was his hometown. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. What's fascinating is we're several years after Jesus is gone. The Jesus movement has began. And this is starting, in fact, now we have gone outside of Jerusalem and the Jewish synagogues themselves. And now we're taking, as Antioch, Barnabas is the first kind of semi-missionary here that's being sent to, to lead this planting of Gentiles that have begun to sprout faith and that are growing in Antioch. And Barnabas, who's been trained and has been in Jerusalem for years, we know him as Joseph, if you go back and you look several chapters ago. And the only thing we know about this guy, he doesn't have a title. His lineage is the Levites, but he has a piece of property. And he sells it and gives it to the apostles and goes, just use it. I know the church needs it. That's all we know about the guy until he's earned the respect to not just bring Saul, the previous hunter of Christians, into the faith. Eventually, the apostles go, we've got this brand new church of Gentiles that's cropping up. We're going to send this guy. And he sends him, and he grabs Saul, and he brings Saul into the full-time ministry and begins to train him in the ministry. And what's something that's really important and helpful for us is in Antioch, as we see it pushes outside of the Jewish boundaries into the Gentile world, Now we start to see naming and nicknaming beginning to happen for those that follow Jesus. And the reason why we're starting there is because for us, most of us, when we grew up, how many of us even used or heard of the phrase disciple? Honestly. How many of us, though, would say, I was or I was trying to be a Christian? That's a really popular phrase. But what happens is, and we see this a lot in our modern age is that if I take a word and I redefine it, it can be something that I want it to be. And what's happening here is what we see is that the disciples of Jesus, the Jesus followers, were given the nickname Christian in Antioch. That's a name that, in fact, in some people, some scholars think it's actually kind of a derogatory term. It's like you're like a little Jesus, you're a little, you're a little copy, you're a knockoff. We killed the original, we can't get rid of you guys. Some, some scholars say it's kind of a negative. The term Christian, as this, is used three times in the, in the, in the NIV, a couple times in, in the book of Acts, and in fact, Peter would use it in his later his letters later on. But Christian, that term, is never used by Jesus. What is the word? There's only one word that Jesus dis- uses to describe people who follow him in this life, into the next life and that term is disciple and if I want to be a disciple of Bruce Lee well he's passed away so you now the original disciples I go right back and go man how do I how did I train how did you guys train what did he teach you what was he like what was his personality did he shave frequently was he really as fast as people thought what are, you know people ask these guys all the time and so if we want to know what it's like to be a follower of Jesus himself, does it make sense for us to ask the world, what's it like to be a Christian? That's a reasonable question, but not the best question. And if I want to figure out what it means to be a follower, a real disciple of Jesus, do I ask a bunch, a bunch of leaders that have, been got, that have had the answers passed down for years? That's not the most reliable answer way we can figure out to be a follower of Jesus is to go back to the best of our ability to Jesus himself and that's for us in our churches we are a part of what's called the restoration movement of churches where this started and it's not the first time this has ever happened since Jesus you know ascended the the, the core and the heart of it is for us we go can we put the creeds can put all the denominationalism can we put all the worldly man-centric stuff aside and do our best to open the scriptures correctly can we interpret this thing but can we get back to restoring the church that we see in the bible that's why it's called the restoration movement can that and has that become kind of denominational in its own right in some ways yes we'll get to that in a few weeks but what we we want as individuals and what we want as a church is to come back and go what does it mean to be followers of Jesus. And let's get back to finding out from Jesus the best way we can. Does that make sense, fam? And if you're with us this morning and you're visiting and you go, what are we about here? We're about trying to figure out what we want to do it Jesus's way. Even if it's hard, even if it's tough, even when it's unpopular, let's figure it out how to do that. Does that make sense, fam? We're we all together on that point. So we're going to do that today. Dive in with me. We're going to turn back to Mark chapter one. We're going to kind of go back to the beginning. I feel like I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be as best I can in old, in old school Church of Christ preacher. There's three C's today, right? Three memorable C's. Three points. Okay. They all have, they start with the same C. I feel like that's, is that old school? Is that too, yeah, a little bit? Some of the young people are like, oh, that's really cool. I've never heard of that. The stuff that is old and used to be uncool becomes cool again. Sometimes in a scary way, like the 80s. Right. The 80s are back, man. And I'm like, I'm like, leg warmers? Like, MC Hammer pants are back? Like, I'm like, oh, no, this is catastrophically bad. So the only hope that I have for us is that eventually what used to be called terribly cultish discipleship has popular now. And then eventually, give it 20 or 30 years, it'll be unpopular again. That's the way we work as people. That's why we come back to Jesus' word and not just what's popular. So three C's. The first one we're going to talk about is the call of discipleship. The call. Mark chapter 1. Pick it up in verse 16. Well, let's put, we'll start in verse 14 here. And it says, and John was put into, put into prison. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 14. The John they're talking about is John the Baptist. So, and John was put into prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat. Preparing their nets, and without delay, he called them, and they and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, I do want to say, if you're not careful, again, we talked a little bit about this several weeks ago. The, the The book of Mark is like an action. It's 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 like a kid's like graphic novel. It's like an action movie. It is action. It's it's boom, boom, boom. We're go, we're going from scene to scene to scene to scene. It's Jesus on the move. He's making moves. So if you just read this and you don't read, for example, John 1 and 2, you might be tempted to believe that Jesus was a complete stranger. He walks up to the four guys' fishermen, hey, follow me, and they go, well, sure, why not? Yeah, I, I, I'll trust you. And you're like, really? That seems unreasonable, doesn't it? Yeah, no, Jesus was that awesome. I mean, he was that awesome, and he'd be worth trusting. But almost nobody does that. And nor is that, in fact, what we'll see later, what Jesus wants us to do. In fact, we see in John 1 not only is John the Baptist, who they are disciples of and following, there's this conversation about, no, look, the guy I've been preaching about, the very Lamb of God, there he is. Amen. And so John the Baptist, even the guy, they're hearing the truth, they're hearing a real prophet preparing the way for, the, for Israel. And they're hearing the scriptures, and they're, they're starting to hear the Old Testament, they're doing these studies that God is preparing, and, he's in, and even John the Baptist himself is like, that's the guy, that's the one he's talking about. Then, in fact, Jesus goes and spends time with them. We know that he heals Simon Peter's mom. There's a fever, which is it's life-threatening. So we see all this, that there's some relationship. They're starting to get to know him. There's a real trust. There's a faith. There's a scriptural, biblical faith in Jesus. But this is, make no mistake, the beginning of official discipleship for these men. And he walks up, and it's not, I'll see you at synagogue. Believe. Get the idea. Man, we'll worship, and we'll be together in the same place. He goes, no, 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 come follow me. And you've got to understand that, that in this time, these guys are blue collar dudes. Uh, and it's unlikely they would have passed grade school in Jewish school at this point. These aren't your Harvard graduates, these aren't the guys you pick. The Pharisees don't go to the Sea of Galilee to pick their disciples, that's not where they go. They go to the synagogues. They go to the guys that who, is, who is graduating their version of graduate school, who are the most talented, most intellectual, the most gifted, the most brilliant. They're going, I, I want the, aer- who tell me who's doing quality assurance testing for Textron. Tell, tell me the, the, give me the aeronautical engineer at Spirit. They don't go to the, I don't know what would be non-offensive here. They don't go out to Hutch and go, tell me, tell me who's actually hurting the cattle. Follow that? And Jesus, we don't have a lot of Sea of Galilee around. Where do you go fishing, is what I asked one of the brothers. Where do you go fishing around Kansas? He's like, you don't, yeah, you, you don't. Fish for men, yes, maybe, yeah. But like, we don't have a lot of that. And I think if Jesus was coming, he'd go, right, he, he's going out there going, who, who are the cattlemen? who are the hard workers, who are the blue collars. There's an excellence, there's a focus, there's a seriousness. And he's calling the unlikely to follow him, to change the world. And his call from the beginning is, come, follow me. Mm -hmm. Have you ever wondered, what does God want from me? Mm. Have you ever prayed, like, God, I just want to know your will? Like, I want to know. In fact, I kind of wish you'd put me on autopilot. I kind of wish predestination was true. Let me become a Christian, and then you take over. Like, autopilot this thing. I'll see you in heaven. I'd prefer not to screw it up. You know what I mean? Anybody ever felt like that? I totally have. But I'm like, God, just send me an email. Send me a text message. I'll I'll just pretend. I won't even share it with people because they'll probably think I'm crazy. I got a text message from Jesus. You're like, sure, bro. Like, No one's going to believe that, but if you send it to me, I just want to know what I'm supposed to do. And this is what's amazing is he's going, no, what he wants from you and from me is come follow Jesus. That's the call. And it's scary simple. And if you're like me, you probably have questions. Where are we going? Will there be food there? Right? Yeah, are, Yeah, is there coffee and meat? If not, may I bring some? How long will we be there? Can I help a man to find babysitting while I'm gone? And you know what's you know what's wild about this? Jesus doesn't answer any of these questions. And so if you have made it in your heart, I need to know the fine print before I say yes to Jesus, then you do not understand the nature of the call. This idea of living by faith is not living by ignorance and stupidity. That's not it. Or living without engaging your brain. That's not it. No, it's that Jesus is the the only one that's been on the mountaintop spiritually. He's been there and back again. He's the only one that can guide me up to the top. And then going, He goes, Follow me. And I go, I trust you and I'm coming with you. Where are we going? What's the path? Will it be cold? He goes, I got all, don't worry, but trust me. That's the decision to be a disciple. And it's scary, which means that it comes down to a question of what do you believe about who Jesus is? It's not about you, your capacity, your ability, your theological understanding. No, no, no. It's about do, the what do you believe about who Jesus is? That's it. And if the answer is, you're the Messiah, you're it, then it doesn't matter what the next answers are out of his mouth. It's wherever you're wanting to go, we're going. Does that make sense, him? But this is scary. But it's simple. Is your... Are you still a little bit spooked to follow Jesus? Does actually following Jesus in your mind require prayer? Like, is it so mundane in your version of discipleship and following Jesus that actually it doesn't even require much faith? Just coming to church, Sunday morning. Just just another thing. Because I look at anyone who's followed Jesus, including Jesus himself, And there's a scary simplicity, life and world transforming courage about it. Mm -hmm. It's about trusting him, Mm -hmm. not about. This isn't the only place. Look at John 8 with me. What's the call? In some ways, where does this thing start when we talk about discipleship? And I want to get really clear. When we say what is a disciple, that word literally means follower. Yeah. That's what that word means. You're like, well, in the Greek, mathetes, what does it actually mean? It means follower. It means, it means someone who follows. Like, but it's got to be more nuanced than that. It's like a fine pinot noir, right? There's notes of, of emotional alignment. No, it really just means follower. That's really all what it means. Someone who's a devoted follower, an imitator, a student All of those things are true. And it doesn't matter if you're a 65-year-old disciple or a 16-year-old disciple. The question is, do you still follow? Come follow me. And you go, I don't really need to do that. I did that before. Then you're no longer a follower. We have to call it something else. Come follow me. That's the disciple. That's what we do. John chapter 8, verse 31. I love this. I love how simple this stuff is. In verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus says, You've got it. Don't worry about it. Go home. You're saved. (laughs) No. You're like, hold on. That's not in my version. It's not in my version either. In fact, the only way you get that gospel is by writing it into Scripture. You're not going to find it by pulling it out. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, now it's almost like, great, now let's talk. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Right. Then you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So let's do this, this super complex definition. If you follow Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus. Right. <laughs> Just in case you miss the nuance of that. If you follow Jesus, his teachings, is what he said, then you are a follower of Jesus. Well, Jeff, so are you saying that I've got to, like, follow all of his commands? Well, what, do you want to, like, show up on Judgment Day and be, like, a 60% follower? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, in some ways, we want to like negotiate. We want to create lines and actually kind of divide this up. And what are you saying, bro? It's not me saying it. I'm just reading it with you because I'm not the judge. We're going to be on the same side of the table on judgment day hoping to get in. So if you don't, verse 31, hold to Jesus' teachings, then you are really Not. One of his disciples. Well, that's a little judgmental. I don't get to make the rules, guys. None of us get to change the rules. But we think it's judgmental when we do it with the Bible. But yet, but yet if, I mean, we've got, (laughs) I mean, literally we've got a cancer treatment doctor in the room. And so there's proper protocol for treating someone with cancer. Yeah. If Dr. David goes, I'm just a little bit uncomfortable having the conversation with you might have cancer. And I, I don't, I don't want to be too judgmental with this treatment, you know, and be so dogmatic about it. Let, let's try to explore a little bit and not do it. I kind of want to do it my way or, you know, what? Let's just, I just don't want to do it at all today. You know what I mean? I feel it's like a little bit too, are you saying other things don't work to treat cancer? we look at him and go, that's actually unethical. That's illegal. In fact, he could be sued and lose his license. Why? We would go, that's not being a good doctor. That's why I go see you. In fact, you're kind of going, would you you judge me medically a little bit here? Could you do that? That would be helpful. I pay you to judge me medically. Well, I don't want to be, you know, unkind. Could you be unkind for like 12 minutes? Just shoot me straight. That, because there's no, there's no treatment. Without both the competency, but also the character of a good doctor. They got to have both. Does that make sense? Guys, so let me ask you. The question about do you think you're a disciple is actually a less important question. Would Jesus say that you are one of his disciples? That's the more important question. Would our kids, would our neighbors, if they saw our life on mute, do they go, "Oh yeah, it's, I know who that guy calls"? It's very clear, and this isn't like an inconsistent point, right? Turn with me to First John chapter two. Same author, and you go, Jeff, it's the Gospel of Love. I thought we talked about that. We did. First John. So we're like in John eight. We're at the beginning of Jesus. You know, we're probably, you know, we're, we're looking at the be- some maybe midway at the beginning, first year or so, second year of Jesus' ministry that John is documenting in John eight. But we come into 1 John two, and we are man. We're 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 getting close to the end of the first century here. We're getting close to the end. 1 John two is writing this in verse three. This is John writing to us. 1 John chapter two, verse three. We know that we have come to know him. If we obey his commands, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a, is a little bit misunderstood emotionally. No. And I think sometimes, honestly, guys, I hate to pause right in the middle of a verse. We go, bro, why are you being so harsh? It's ironic, though, is that it's almost like we... We call people who would read the Bible with us harsh. Mm -hmm. And I go, hold on, what defines harsh here? What what defines as if harsh is never an okay thing to be? And I don't mean abusive, and I don't mean weird, and I don't mean unloving. Let me be very clear. But sometimes, man, the the truth is a cold shower. You're like, whoa, this is brisk. This is tough to swallow. And so I'm not, we don't say this to like beat someone over the head. I I think it's like sitting with a great doctor and going, hey, we've got a really, we got a big mountain face here. This is as serious as it gets, guys, truly. Mm -hmm. And so in verse four, the man or woman, some of the women were like, amen. Oh, it's the men have that problem. No, (laughs) the man or the woman who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And the truth is not in him, sorry, um, and the truth is not in him, verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And isn't it wild, though, when you think about this? And I love this because in John 8, beforehand, this all comes with a promise. He goes, man, you do this, you're really a follower, you're really a disciple, then you know truth, and the truth sets you free. This comes with amazing promises. It's not like if you know the truth, you're going to live in constant shame of how inadequate you are before Jesus. You're never going to be like him. And you're going to literally wallow in it, and Jesus is going to make sure you know every time you take communion that you suck. You're terrible. You should live like that. You're like, no, that's not it at all. Not at all. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus goes, not only do I know it, I'm like, you're approaching this throne of grace with confidence, the, the Hebrew writer would say. They know Jesus is going, I know you, I know where you've been, I know your past, I know what you're struggling with, and I'm still calling you, come, follow me, let's go together. And there's freedom that comes from that. It's unbelievable, and I think sometimes what we think is it's condemnation on the other side of that. And it's not true. That's a total lie. But it starts, though, by going, man, which team are we on, and is it obvious? Super Bowl champs, again. Again. Kansas City Chiefs. Someone was like, are you a fan? I'm like, I am now. Someone was like, you're a bandwagon. No I, no, I said, no, the Lord moved me here just in time so I could be a hometown fan, baby. He moved me, you know, he moved me into San Antonio, which has a decent basketball team. I was like, oh, this is great. I've been adopted into a good family there. Then moved to Brazil. The soccer's pretty good. We worked with South Africa for many years. I, I'm, a, I'm a rugby fan. So, the South Africa Springboks, who just won the Rugby World Cup, man, I got some good teams on my. I love this. It's just nice now. I live here and I'm the Chiefs is the hometown team. There are a, long, a lot of bandwagon fans out there, aren't you? Aren't you? You know it, man. Just some of us. are like, well, I'm a fan now. No, yeah, some of us, it's like if you're a Detroit Lions fan, right? It's a little bit like, and I'm like, it's Lincoln and six other people around the United States gathering in favor. I appreciate These are the diehards. But it's nice to be uh, adopted in. Got Taylor Swift. 6.9 or whatever billion people are now fans of the Chiefs because she put on a red shirt one day but you know who's not a fan? Yeah. Kylie Kelsey. You know, Travis Kelsey, you know, he's dating Taylor Swift. Awesome. Jason Kelsey, his brother, who's an Eagle. He married Kylie Kelsey. Now Jason is like an Eagle. I don't know if he's officially retired or whatever. But I mean, this dude, that's his team, man. He played against his brother, you know, whatever. The, the whole deal. I mean, there's a lot, I'm sure there's not, you know, he seems like he's nice. He's got a nice beard. He's fine. Whatever. They seem to be just fine, consoling themselves in pools of money or whatever. Must be nice. But it's amazing because he shows up in his brother's plane and he he's he's rocking Chiefs gear. You know who is not? His wife. Zero care. And so people were like, even her husband, who plays on the Eagles. He's like, can you like support it? She's like, no. She wore like a red athletic shirt. So people might think she was, and they zoom in and it's just some athletic gear. And I was like, no one is unclear about Kylie's allegiance, right? No one's wondering. And even Taylor Swift cannot get jersey. This is unbelievable. No one's confused about which team she's rooting for. Is anyone confused about your team? Is it obvious? Can your spouse talk you out of it? Can your kids? Can your neighbors? Can a losing season? Can a tough five or ten years? Can someone who also wears the jersey talk you out of it because this is jesus call for you and for me it's not to be a fan it's to be a follower devoted trusting wherever you're going i'm going with you jesus is calling you to be a disciple but would he call you one now and as long as your heart is pumping if the answer is i don't think so repentance can happen now and that's beautiful that's beautiful Let's talk about the cost. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I'll be honest, I've been wrestling all week. I'm like, what do we talk about? There's so much good stuff. And I'll be honest, though. In our world, sometimes we can spin a lot of the stuff about discipleship to be very judgmental and harsh and intense. And And I wonder why we're so quick to do that. Because I'm like, when we go, it's almost like we would think, oh, Jesus having an expectation for us is a proof of a lack of grace or love for us. And I go, isn't it the opposite? I mean, I come before God and I'm like, dude, I'm a mess. Are you kidding me? Like, I couldn't even get to class on time as an undergrad. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there were days, literally, I had guys after I was baptized kicking me, going, it's noon, get up and go to class, you idiot. Like, get up as a disciple of Jesus. It's like, arise, you and Lazarus, get up, boy, come out, take off the grave clothes. I mean, I'm like, it's true. And I'm like, man. And I go, and Jesus would look at a kid like that and go, I can do something with that guy. Come here, come here. And I go, I think it's just proof of his grace and his faith in us. But the cost, Luke chapter 14. Let's pick it up here together. This is literally a clinic on how not to build a megachurch. Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning them, he said, it is now time for contribution. (laughs) No. (laughs) Just seeing if we're all following along. No. Verse 26, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate. His brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, <clears throat> or like a home, a large home, not just a, it's not like a, a, a tower for war. It could even, I mean, we're talking about actually like a, like a home you'd live in. Will he not first down, sit down, and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation, And is not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or, verse 31, Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be a disciple. I mean, you can picture this. Like there are, I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people following Jesus, a large crowd. We know that he had thousands following him for food and they counted. Is this larger than 5,000 countable people? I don't know. Was it larger than that, smaller? We don't know. But it's big. He's got a huge group of people following him and he turns around. I mean, this is literally a clinic on what, it's not like in the, you know, mega church builders, you know, like manual for dummies. Like This is like what you don't do. If you want to build something, hey, come on in, massive crowd. All right, if anyone doesn't hate everyone they know, you can't follow me. Anyone want to stick around? You're like, what in the world? That's exactly what Jesus does. And I'll be honest, gang. It says, if anyone, anyone comes to me. That's 1st century, 21st century, Palestine. Wichita, no matter where you are or where you're watching from, it's for all of us, if anyone. And this call, he gets right to the heart of what this is really about. And he goes, guys, if you come to Jesus and you don't hate mom and dad, if you don't hate brother and sister, your kids, your wife and husband, your spouse, even your own life. You cannot. cannot be this type. And there's a couple of interesting things that pop out to me. One is he doesn't pick, like, you know, your secretary, the barista that messes up your coffee order, and, you know, your third grade teacher that you didn't really like and she didn't like you. Like, that's not the list of people he's calling up, right? He's getting the people right at our hearts. Now, let me be also very clear when we talk about this word hate. We're talking about a serious, we're talking about despising. This is a comparative hatred, meaning when I compare the love for my wife, Amanda, and virtually any other human being on earth, the gap between her and my kids and the rest of y'all, no offense, you're great, is pretty large. (laughs) You're like, but Jeff, oh, do you know me? (laughs) I do. (gasps) You cooked me steak. I probably did. (laughs) Uh, You made me a coffee. I, I mean, yes, I know. We love you guys. But I, well, I don't know what you'd say. It's like, you know, it's like I, I love tacos. I love brownies. I love <laughs> I love coffee. You're like, we use love a lot. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, man, I, I hate I hate the 49ers. You're like, really? Like you and Christian McCaffrey, you got like long standing beef. You know what I mean? We use these words all the time. But Jesus is going, no, no, no. What we're talking about are gaps. What we're talking about is comparison. And when we're talking about, I mean, literally, it's not like go home to your mom and go, I love Jesus, I'm out of here. No, that's not. In fact, if you do that, you didn't read the rest of the Bible. Or you go to your kids, I'm out of here, I'm going to church, I'm never going to work again. No, anyone who doesn't take care of his family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You better get this right. But it has to do with where our allegiance is and where our love and where our heart comes. Why we do what we do, okay? and why we won't do it in the future, potentially. And Jesus is going, look, if you don't love Jesus more than your life, your career, and your comfort, your security and the things that you take security in, you know, your life, your title, your career, your advancement, the amount of money you have, you cannot be a disciple, cannot If you you love your kids and your spouse, even as much as Jesus, you cannot, cannot be a disciple of him. You can't follow him that way. And I think, honestly, it's true, and we see it in our marriages. And your marriages and your parenting, it will sift. It will sift your heart. It will make you prove it, won't it? And I think sometimes we kind of walk around with our empty cup to our spouse and our kids and give me purpose, give me a mission, give me a reason to be. And if Jesus isn't your first soulmate, this is why there is no marriage in heaven. Because we've already found our soulmates. There won't, be ma- there won't be marriage there. Well, I'm not complete because I'm single. Then you don't understand Jesus. I mean, a marriage is awesome. and Don't get me wrong, it's an incredible thing. But it's a, it, it is a minor reflection of what we're talking about, the intimacy we get in heaven. Does that make sense? Your brothers and sisters... You know, what was interesting as I study with this. It doesn't say if this is blood or in Christ. It doesn't say that. Is this Adelphos and Adelphi in Christ? Are we talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord? Or are we talking about your blood brothers and sisters? I don't know. And I think about hurts, trauma, and the sin of others will Test your discipleship, won't it? The rejection by family, which in Mark 3 Jesus himself gets. I mean, the Virgin Mary, who at Mark 3 was no longer a virgin, is as well as the brothers, his brothers are coming to him thinking Jesus himself is crazy. The testing that you get from family, from blood, but also from brothers and sisters in Christ. If you love the men and women. In these pews, more than Jesus, eventually these people will do something to make you no longer be here. And it will start with your heart and then eventually your body will follow out. Isn't that not true? Have we not all experienced that? Have we not all personally felt that? I know I have. Such a person cannot, and this wording is fascinating to me. This isn't a threat by God. It's not an inclusive, no, no, no. I won't allow you to follow me. That's not what he says. He says you can't. It's a capacity question. And I remember I went hiking in the Grand Canyon with some of the uh, evangelists and ministers down in San Antonio. This was probably eight, nine years ago now. So anybody ever gone to the Grand Canyon? The Grand Canyon is one of the actual places that doesn't disappoint. Like people hype up the view And you go, and you're like, oh, I'm sure it's great. And then you see it, and you're just like, like the pictures don't do it justice. It's like staggering. And then we're like, what are we going to do? Well, what would any guys do? We're going to go hike it. We're just going to go walk down, make it really hard, and come back up. Awesome. So one of the few places normally when you hike mountains, the hard part is first. Going up is often the harder part. And then coming down, gravity does a lot of the work. But not in the Grand Canyon. (laughs) coming down's the easy part getting out so you can get down with way more weight than you should be able to and we had a lot of first time hikers including me so i'm asking all these guys how do you pack a bag and so some guys have like their jan sport middle school backpack i got an extra backpack you're like it's not good you, you can just see it you're like nope that's not good one of the guys, one of the guys packs a full Length and he's like Eric Craft's height, man. A like, have you ever seen Deadliest Catch? Those plastic rubber full-length overall waders, he packed those. For what reason was my question? Are you are you going to canoe on the bottom of this? What are you going to do, bro? What in the are you going to fish with your hands? Why are you packing this thing? Weighed like twenty-seven pounds. My whole pack didn't weigh twenty-seven pounds. And predictably that and a couple of other guys packed just in case stuff. 20, 30 extra pounds worth. And my superpower, I have two superpowers. One is I can find unbelievable parking spots. <laughs> Wish it was cooler, but it's incredibly practical. It's totally serious. My wife can attest to most of that. It. it is weirdly true. And I'm like, there's nothing over. Oh, there's a right in front. I mean, I'd have to have a limp in order to get any close. This is beautiful. And the other thing is I'm a bit of a mule. And you go, stubborn, smelly, no. Uh, I found out some good things about donkeys. I don't know if donkeys and mules are close-ish, I guess, cousins. Close enough, anyway. They're cute, nice, playful, loyal, honorable creatures. No, they're literally called beasts of burden. Guilty as charged. So we're down and when you're down at the bottom and you're staring up in the ca- Grand Canyon and the two guys go, I, we, I can't get out with this stuff. Their hip flexors are literally locking up or back locking up. They're like, I can't go. And I'm like, give it to me. Because we're like, we're all getting out of this thing. And they're like, I cannot take this out. And what's why, I don't know why, I don't have a high top speed. It's like 30 miles an hour. Am I'm like... I'm like you know, like an 18-wheeler, I, I can't go very high. I can go the same top speed with a ton of weight behind me or nothing on me. I mean, it's the same speed. I'm not a sprinter, so it's the same sluggish, 80 pounds, 10 pounds. It's the, same, it's the same pace for me. So very donkey-ish that way. So I'm like, all right, give it to me. And, and I'm like, and what's so funny is coming down, I mean, I, I don't have great long legs, so I'm getting smoked. These guys are just passing me quickly on the way down. Because, you know, I'm like, because I'm, it's just, I got short legs. This is how I'm built. Now on the way out, though, you kind of turn on this, we're getting out of here. And the guy, I got piles of stuff on my back. I probably looked ridiculous. I'm somebody's meme somewhere. I'm sure someone took a picture. We're like we're getting out of this thing. And I think about this and I go, because I think we underestimate the journey that's ahead of us. And I think for some of us, you don't get that Jesus isn't looking at you, and it's not a threat when he says you cannot be a disciple if you do this. You're like, well, I'm kind of doing it now. Me and my wife, I love her about the same amount of Jesus. You know, my career, yeah, sometimes I'm at church, sometimes I'm at work. It doesn't really matter. I choose what I want. The money and the security I have in my financial stability and my stability my and my spiritual stability, they're about the same priority. I'm doing it now. I'm just fine, right? And I go, I don't think you understand there comes to a point where you are tested and broken. And I think Jesus is teaching. He's not threatening. He's going, guys, this can break you. If your marriage is this important, and there, there will be a woman, there will be a sexual romantic relationship that's outside, there will be an addiction, there will be a distraction, there will be a job offer, there will be a job loss, there will be something. There will be. That you can overcome. But if your love for Jesus isn't there, it will break you. Have you been broken? Have you felt that sobering moment of, I don't love Jesus the way I thought I did? Now, I want to encourage you. This can change in a heartbeat. this is what Jesus is calling us to do. This is at the heart of the matter. It's actually a love thing and it's a love for Him thing. Now here's what happens is that when you become an amazing disciple, you become the best version of a husband or wife you can be. You actually become the best brother or sister, blood or in Christ that you can be. You become the best mom or the best dad you can be. You'll become the best employee you can be. And I can't tell you. And I think we all have the stories of men and women who transform and repent and become excellent at their job. And they, rather than giving all the time go to their boss and go, man, I, I've got some boundaries. I need to go to work, or I need to go to I need to go to church on Sunday and I can't work, or I need to not work on Wednesday. I need to be there. And why? And they and and what's incredible is that our character and our work ethic has won the respect of our bosses. And they go, well. Because I worship God, I want to be together with the body, and th- this is a part of being a disciple. part—I need these men and women in my life. I need to be there, and I want to be, and that's a priority for me. And they, go, yeah, of course. Let's make, let's make some changes. Let's figure. Let's. And they want to help because honestly, when disciples are employees, you don't need a slave driver to drive them. Right. Yeah. Their excellence at work is a part of their worship for God. But there's, their eternal security isn't in that job. It's in the Father who gave it to them. Does that make sense, family? It's a testing cost. How's your love this morning for Jesus? Is there anything in competition? And oftentimes we don't say it this way. We go, but when you get sad, depressed, or anxious, do you run to things other than God? Where does your rest come from? That'll tell you a lot on what you love. And I don't mean, do you have any hobbies? Oh, no, prayer. Prayer is my hobby, bro. No, that's not what I mean. (laughs) Jesus went to weddings. They're like, but he didn't drink. I'm like, he made wine that didn't drink. Are you sure about that? (laughs) Literally, at the Last Supper, he goes, I won't drink it again until you come back. Like, what, the first time he ever had wine? I'm like, come on, dude. So Jesus wasn't a weirdo, and he wasn't so religious he was out of touch. He was the friend of sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. Jesus was awesome. He was a normal dude. I think we got to be that way, too. But not normal like the world. But what competes with your love for Jesus? Is there anything that, that is genuinely, and another word is some of us are coming back to God, whether we physically have left or not. And my question is this is often a question when we talk about people being restored in the faith, and that has somehow become controversial. We'll, t- we'll touch about this in a different time. But this idea of being restored, meaning restoring our relationship, it's almost like restoring the unity in a marriage that's broken. Whether they've left, they've divorced, or separated, or in the same house, but there's a restoration of the connection. If that makes sense. Right. The question, though, becomes: So when did Jesus stop being enough? That's another way to ask that question for some of us. This is not a one-time question, and it's not like a "oh, only when we're doing terribly." No, I think we touch base and we we look and we go, "Man, is Jesus still enough for me?" And if he is, man, we become a wreck we become a force that Satan himself will fear. Amen. Because you cannot steal or threaten a man or a woman in some ways that has nothing to lose, who's already given it all away, and is focused in the right way. Turn over to Matthew twenty eight with me. We're gonna end here. I told you there's too much to talk about. Matthew chapter twenty eight. We all together, family? Yeah. I love, I love Matthew 28. Chapter three, the third point is the consequences of discipleship. That sounds like intense. I couldn't figure out. A way. I was trying to make more of like lighthearted, like titles for the points. It's like the cost of discipleship, the call, the consequences. I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm more the C's. Maybe you could call it the, the change or the, I don't know, the blessings. I don't know what you'd call it, but things happen when disciples get on the scene. That's what's awesome about this. And look at this in Matthew 28. And this is part of the last conversation before Jesus ascends. And we will pick it up here in 16 of Matthew 28. The great, the, I say the commission and the consequences. And you can put, you know, dun, dun, dun. You can put in your own music there as you desire. I'm trying to make it memorable. There you go. me ask you, if you had a thousand days to start a movement that would never end, would eventually get to every person, would help them to get right with God and stay right with God, what would you do? Because that was kind of the question for Jesus, and in about three years of public ministry, about a thousand days, give or take, and his he was going to start a movement that would never die, never couldn't be killed, couldn't be stopped, could get to all languages, all cultures, all generations, for as many as there would be before he comes back. That it would tailor to be personal so it wouldn't just help us to start the relationship with God, but would actually keep us getting stronger and closer and more faithful, and sh- assuming we chose to do it. Like, isn't that a fascinating question? Like, what would you do? If you ask most church leaders in America in 2024, what would the average answer be? Man, I'm blasting social media 100%. Man, I'm going, Google ads, baby. I'm hitting every person everywhere. Maybe. Do we go to the metaverse? Do we reach out to Mark Zuckerberg? Do we just send 3D glasses so everyone could be at church online no matter where they're at? All of us start cringing. The under the 25-year-olds are like, yeah, that'd be great. What's wrong, What's wrong with you guys? Of course, well, of course that's what we would do. No. Jesus was literally sitting in a Roman Empire that had united and had created roads and security for any Roman citizen virtually across the known empire. I mean, the known that at least that portion of the world. I mean, as far as unity and, and, and structure and infrastructure had gone, the Romans had really conquered a lot. They'd done an enormous amount with that. He didn't go and get born and go to, to he didn't go to Caesar's household. He didn't become emperor, even though he could have. He didn't in and slay Caesar and go, I'm the real king, enough of this mess, even though, man, a lot of lives would have been saved, huh? He didn't make it a decree. He didn't unite the whole world under one crown. He wasn't Charlemagne. that, That wasn't his campaign. It was in an obscure, rural area of the world. He would take three years and pour his life into men, walking with them, talking with them, crying with them, praying with them, challenging them, rebuking them, connecting with them, eating with them, drinking with them, going to weddings with them, smiling, I imagine laughing, and, being, and, and living life together and pouring his faith and his character into them. And so when we started in Mark chapter one, at the very beginning of the timeline of Jesus' public ministry. When we get all the way to the end. We see this wild thing, these 12 guys that he's been pour- pouring in with. There's some details if you miss them. And I want to call them to our attention just to understand what it might have felt like to be there. One, that these, there were 11, not 12. Because within the last month and a half of this time frame, one of the best friends, one of the 12, had killed himself. Eleven come to the place where Jesus calls them to go. It's ironic that the writer writes it that way. He doesn't go, oh, they went in a spiritual fervor to the place where all were known to know. They just go to where Jesus told them to go. Amen. And when they go there, they worship. What did? I appreciate that Jesus didn't list them. James and John were struggling hard. Peter was doing okay, you know. I mean, it isn't like on a scale of 1 to 10 here's how the apostles were doing. No, he just vaguely some of these guys were really struggling. And I think sometimes we can radically underestimate the power of taking this commission personally. I think we overestimate what it takes to get started. I think we've redefined what it means to be faithful and courageous in the middle of it. Jesus gives them a. Comm- had a great conversation this last week, some of you, and I'm going to take you into our weekly Bible nerd moment with Jeff Henderson. You know, dee 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 dee. in the case of you guys were wondering, and this week you were studying out, aorist and present participles, aorist imperative, and you're like, man, I'm just parsing out. I just want to, I want to get this grammatically, Jeff. That, that's all I've been thinking about. Many of you, it looks, you know, from the look on your face, that that's been your quiet times this week. Had a great conversation actually about a week ago, and, and it, there was a question of what exactly is this saying, and structurally, how do these, how, how does it work together? And there actually are a couple of reasonable lanes of translation. How do participles in your life, an adverbial participle? Man, that's just, that just increases. More. I don't know about you, that's all I'm looking for. Some of us are like. Me and Amanda are like two sides of the same. We're we're the opposite ends, right? Me, I'm like, wow, that is a good point. I want to think about that. Man, God God is awesome. My wife's like, what kind of cookies would you like me to bake? Because we're going to fill our house up with people that want to hear about Jesus. Maybe less of a grammar lesson. And so together, somewhere in the middle, uh, people like both of us more, I I think. I don't know. But in some idea of in this text, there's there's some questions, some reasonable questions of what exactly is it saying? I appreciated this conversation I had because is it saying that the command word in this in this this uh, you know in the the verse in in nineteen and or in eighteen and nineteen is make disciples literally disciple the nations and so a lot of translations have make disciples that's reasonable. Almost every major translation translates it that way. I think it's fine. I think sometimes we want to split hairs about things. I think that's fine. That's the command. And that is the center point. The question becomes, so you make disciples, is the baptizing them and the teaching them to obey what we would say a manner adverbial participle? It's describing the way you make a disciple? Or is it a, we would say, A product or a final. This is a it is a result adverbial. See what I'm saying? And my wife's like, Honey, get what are you doing? People are leaving. Yeah, I mean some of us go, and some of us in here are going, like, Well, that's no, that's a great point, bro. Some of us, how many of us genuinely care about this stuff? Like, all 17 of us, right? And the rest of us are like, Bro, what do I do? Come on, like just because here's why it matters. And going, and when you start looking at this. What we end up starting to do, and we don't all, I'm not saying this room particularly, but what we'll start to try to find is the escape hatch from obedience. Can I grammar my way out of just doing it, please? And the answer is, drumroll, no. Because a result adverbial participle phrase is, do you make a disciple and one? they have made the decision to make Jesus Lord, they're committed. Boom, let's get to the water and baptize you, then teach you to obey everything. Is it a result of that thing? Or is it the way we would define someone becoming a disciple? Almost nothing changes depending on which lane you pick to drive in. Almost nothing. So am I a baptized disciple or not? I don't know. That should matter for about 39 minutes. How long does it take for me to drive you to the baptistry? That's really the question. Does that make sense? The grammar's awesome. And in some ways, what we want and our tendency to do is, is to start trying to, we're, we're like splitting hairs on things that don't really matter. And my question is, no, no, no. Do you have a conviction that the neighbor next to you, that the people that can sit in these chairs, that you and me have an obligation? We've got a commission from the Lord on high. You and me can change lives. We can change our city. We can change our country. No president can do that. I don't care who gets the nomination and eventually gets the nod in January. It doesn't matter. And I think about this. It transforms cities. I remember in the to San Antonio in 2006. I think it was number nine in the campus ministry. Just a handful of years later, we saw 100 people in the campus ministry. We saw about 160 at that point had graduated, were faithful disciples all over. A couple of dozen people had gone into the full-time ministry and missions internationally and it was unbelievable. What we watched God do. We became such a presence at the university. We had won over the faculty. There was relationships. We were serving. People knew. They go, "Well, we know Alpha Omega. We were doing pretty ugly stuff." And the faculty ran and went, "Nope, we know Alpha Omega. That's not that group." It started to change the culture. It was there were leaders and athletes and people became to get transformed. We watched God's spirit move. I watched God for for a group of young people who knew nothing. We couldn't play a full game of volleyball. Then we, we're gonna take this personally and literally a handful of years later, we started watching as people got married and started having kids of going generations have been transformed. I remember being down in Brazil, we were on the west side. A guy named Jean was converted, to Jean Santos, and he was up in Butentown, which is the northwest kind of a neighborhood. Young entrepreneurial business leader. A guy was a stud. In fact, I was trading messages with him this morning. Gets reached out to start studying the Bible and goes, this is the real deal. This is it. It's not no business. No business workshop is going to change the world. It's this. He came to church and started bringing. I mean, we started to joke. It was like the Gian Santos Church of Christ. Every Sunday, he had two cousins, a new brother. I'm like, how many cousins do you have? Like, sister would come. His mom came. Man, this, all these friends started studying the Bible. I was studying the Bible with one of his cousins, and he's like, I'm like, why are you here? He goes, because John's life had transformed. I was like, what in the world are you doing? I'm going to church. Which church is doing that? Can I come? Yeah. Yeah. And he started coming, and him and his wife, and they were talking about their marriage and their young family. And he was just like, man, I want to learn about this. We studied the Word of God, and he's like, this is unbelievable. I've never heard of this. It's incredible. How have I gone to church my whole life? I've never heard of this. And I was like, that's what I'm saying. He started transforming. His mom came to church. His mom, I think, in her 60s. She started studying the Bible with one of the elder's wives right close to it. And not only was she learning about Jesus, she was learning how to read and write. He j- friends? Their entire, the generation of their family is transforming. It's not just him. It's not one life. It's not one person that decides to come to church because we're changing families and lives. And it's not just the command to get people started with Jesus. We don't baptize people and hand them a Bible and a towel and say, see in heaven. It's not what the command is. It's that we walk together till he comes back. We're going to continue to help each other. But my question is, Is do you still take that part of the commission personally too? To help each other, but also to be helped? Is it offensive to you that you might need to be taught how to obey? Does it offend you that some might, somebody might see some disobedience in you? Does that make you go, get out of my face? Mm-hmm. Who do you think you are? What, 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 what authority do you have? Or do you go... Hey, bro, what are you what are you seeing? Because football players, you, you better believe it. Even after the Super Bowl, you can win the game. They go back and they watch. They watch the film and they go, "What are you seeing? How do we get better? How do we get better?" And even Travis Kelsey came back to Andy Reid and publicly went, "I was way out of line with that. I was way out of line with yelling at coach. I got fired up. And what did the coach do, man? It fired me up, bro. Don't worry about. It. Like he's like, I'm, I like that fire. But hey, let's let's watch the line there. And I love there's a grace and there's a fire and there's a belief and intention. But his man. Made- to get better. And we are too as a church. And I think about, man, if, you, if you're in here and you're in our church and you've been here for a while, some of us really wrestle with what can God do with us? Jeff, we're discouraged. We're wrestling with doubt. We've got people that aren't here. We've got 11. There's a 12th seat that's empty with friends that, a best friend that used to be there. We've got some of us come to church and it hurts because there are friends that used to be here months or years ago and they're not in this room. What can God possibly do with a group like that? And I look to Matthew 28 and I go, He can change the world with a group like that. Amen. Are you doubting? Good. Go to church and still worship. Amen. Worship through the doubt. Amen. You're going, I, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm grieving. That is okay. You're in great company. But the. Gr- with Jesus oftentimes feels unbearable, but the grief without him is. We've got got something to give. And I was asking the guys, when was the church here planted? And they said it was in 1991. In February of 91, we are celebrating this month 23 years of the church. Sorry, 33 years. Go ahead and do some math there. (laughs) 33 three years. It started with about 40 disciples. And when Jesus sent his guys out, he always sent them out two by two. No one went out alone. Amen. And I and I had to think about this and we go, what is a small group like this? What could it possibly do? Do you know what, what size our group could be if the 40 in, in 1997 would have just gone out two and once you're going, just the two of us are going to find one. That's it. That's our, that's our job this year. Not 1,000, not 500. We're going to go find one, one person that wants to seek Jesus. And we're just going to do that, slow and steady, every year, two by two. Did you know there would be 17 million members in our church? Sometimes we radically overestimate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in 10 or 20. And there's a slow, faithful patience that God goes, that's what two by two can do. That's the consequence of discipleship. We have 700,000 people in Wichita. It wouldn't even take us a decade and a half for us to have personal relationships with every one of them if we all go, it's personal for me now. I'm going two by two. I'm grabbing someone. I'm grabbing a wingman, a wingwoman. We're going out together. Friends, you don't have to be perfect to do this. We just got to decide to go and be faithful to trust Jesus, no matter what it is. And I think what I'm so excited about is that I think all of us in this room, we're going, we're going to do this together. We're re- recommitting. We're coming back and going. Jesus is calling all of us as a church, as individuals, as teams, as Bible talks, as families in our marriages. The man, we're going to have awesome. We're just going to be disciples. We're going to just follow Jesus and be faithful no matter where he goes, no matter what he says, and no matter how overwhelmed it sees, because he has got every single victory in his hands. Amen? Amen. Family, I'm going to ask us all to stand. I'm going to say a prayer and dismiss us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for your call for all of us to be disciples, and that no matter where we're at, no matter how small we feel, no matter how blue, educated, talented, small, weak, mule-like we feel, that you can use all of us, and that you're calling us to greatness because you're great. And I pray that we hear it personally, the call to follow, to call to, to help one another, to call to love you, Father, and that no matter where we're at today, that we want to come back, we do want to follow you. We want to love you more than anything else. Be transformed and changed and see the world around us changed because of your love and your faith in us. We love you, God. We're so grateful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 family, we are dismissed.